Brother Glenn has asked that we mark song number 21 as a song of encouragement, and we're happy to do that and to use that a bit later in the service this morning. As always, how delightful it is that God has allowed us the privilege, the great blessing indeed, to assemble and to gather in His name. Our regular membership, our visitors alike, we're so thankful each of us have been able today with the disposition of our mind and heart that has brought us to this location at this time. The lesson, as you may have noted this morning, is entitled, Music in Old Testament Worship. And I fully confess that as we give at least some thought to that over the next few moments, our principal thrust shall be to extract and to consider the implications for our New Testament worship today. By way of introduction, some of these initial thoughts, no doubt, can easily fill our hearts and minds. The blessed church of our Lord is a worshiping body. I suspect that if we were to poll a thousand people just at random, and what's the first thing that comes to your mind as you give thought to the church, they likely would at least in some way mention folks that gather together and they worship. The worship is a very integral part of what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. You'll notice, though, in the other parts on that slide, one of the features of worship has to do with music. This morning, you and I have already lifted our voices together in such a sweet and reverberant sound to the God of heaven, lifting praises and adoration to His name. We have sang so beautifully about God, about His Son, about the church, about the work that is involved in it. And all of that singing challenges us to think about the words that we have spoken. There are several kinds, though, of music. I freely also suspect that one of those matters that so quickly comes to mind as you and I discuss with others about us concerning the nature of the music of the church is why is there no guitar up here anywhere? Why is there no piano or harpsichord or a drum? Or why is there not an orchestra in here? Why is there not a band? For after all, isn't it true that in many instances there's almost an advertisement Come, some congregations will say, and be with us and enjoy our band that plays in worship. Maybe they have quite a number of matters involved in the presentation of a band. However, it's conspicuously absent here. And at many other congregations that you and I know of in this area, why is it not here? What is there that distinguishes and makes that distinct and different? As you'll notice on that slide... There are some who are readily willing to say, maybe God has something to say about the kind of music that He desires. Maybe God has, in fact, decreed what kind of music that He prefers and that He demands. There are others, however, who look upon this and reason somewhat as follows. They, in all earnestness, and have a great deal of sincerity, but they, in fact, reason like this. The Old Testament makes mention of instruments of music, mechanical instruments of music. I've chosen just one verse to list for you. The entire 150th Psalm makes mention of stringed instruments and pipes and various other things. You'll notice they clearly were used on that occasion. But then they will use verses like Malachi 3 verse 6 that says, "...the Lord changeth not." And thus, if it's true that He allowed these mechanical instruments of music in that era, and if He hasn't changed, then what's wrong with using them today? 
Would there be anything wrong with using them? There are those who, in fact, will use a series of arguments much like that. I'd invite us over the course of the study this morning to revisit that argument in some detail. What can be said about the music of Old Testament worship and what can be said about the music of New Testament worship? Our subject is an intensely interesting one because, among other things, remember, worship must be done in spirit and in truth. The Lord said so in John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus did not say they might, they may, they should. He said they must. And thus, it is a vital matter to appreciate the absolute declarations of the Word of God and indeed to worship Him. In that way, He is decreed as both spirit and truth. It is with that in mind as we come to the bottom, let's proceed then to consider in some detail this subject of the music of worship. As we do that, let's begin by at least making some observation of Old Testament history. We realize that the Bible that perhaps is resting on your lap and that is here sitting before me is a book that has some 66 books contained within it. And the majority of them are in the Old Testament, 39 of them to be exact. Specifically, there are a large number of those Old Testament books that describe that series and that livelihood of the children of Israel beneath the law of Moses. In Exodus, the 20th chapter... God, in the marvelous wonder of His appearance on Mount Sinai, delivered and bequeathed unto Moses this law that was to govern the Israelites throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It was an expansive law. It was, in fact, a very elaborate law. I've invited you to think with me just a few moments about the specifics in terms of the arching aspect of the nature of life that it touched. The children of Israel, arguably that Old Testament nation of Israel, stands as one of the most unique of all nations that has ever occupied the surface of this planet. After all, here was a band of people in Egyptian bondage. They didn't have any land of their own at that point in time. They were slaves to another empire. And yet God, by His marvelous and matchless power, brought them out of that land protected them through 40 years of wilderness wandering, guided them well on their way toward a destination that He promised He'd give them. First of all, you'll notice God gave them land. To my knowledge, there's not any other country ever on earth for which land has been given to them that way. They've all had to earn it by warfare or otherwise. God gave them this land, but not only that. He gave them their laws that would govern that land. They knew how the government was supposed to be, and not only that, He dictated expressly every aspect of their worship. Who was to be worshipped, when He was to be worshipped, how He was to be worshipped, and all the details concerning cleansing. The book of Leviticus details it all, doesn't it? This people so interestingly special in that God gave them their land, their laws, their worship, and their service. Beyond all of that, you'll notice this. As one looks then at the character of the worship that they were to involve themselves in, we find references to sacrifices. We find references to various and sundry offerings and altars. We find references made to both tabernacle and temple. 
But it's interesting, I find no reference to any mechanical instruments of music anywhere in either Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy. At this point, one seemingly is able to conclude that as these Israelites assembled around that tabernacle, that place in which God had placed His name, that dwelling wherein the Ark of the Covenant was, that place where the children of Israel assembled, there apparently was no playing of musical instruments in the sense of mechanical ones. We find no mention of it. It would seem that when Moses orchestrated and reigned over the nature of that worship, and when Aaron did, and when the other priests of that early era did, we find no reference to these mechanical instruments of music. Interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy 4 verse 2, the statement is made specifically to the children of Israel, "...ye shall not add unto the words that I have given you." They were told that God's Word formed an absolute boundary, not to go beyond it, and they were not to fall short of it. It was absolute in completeness with regard to what the children of Israel needed. The nature of that Word of God perhaps then brings us to this. As you can see at the bottom of that slide, things seemingly changed dramatically. If it was the case that there was no mention then of these mechanical instruments early in the Old Testament, during the days of Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Samuel and Eli and a whole host of others, but then as we noted earlier in the lesson, by the time we reach the Old Testament, late in it at least, we find frequent mentions of the mechanical instruments of music. In Psalm 92 verse 3, Mention is made of stringed instruments, specifically the psaltery and the harp. We find in Psalm 150 verse 4 again an admonition to employ these in the attribute and in the ongoing nature of worship. Not only stringed instruments, we find wind instruments, specifically the pipe is mentioned. That was an instrument that seemingly resembled a flute or something like that that was played in that ancient era. It's mentioned in Psalm 150, verse number 4, again, as it related to its usage in worship. Furthermore, in Isaiah 5, verse 12, the pipe is mentioned as a part of the worship of ancient Israel. Maybe finally, we could appreciate various percussion instruments like the cymbals. That too was employed and used in verses like Psalm 150, verse 5, 1 Chronicles 13, 8, as well as Ezra 3, verse 10. All of that, no doubt, brings to us the following question. If the children of Israel had not used these things early in their Old Testament era, those times, again, in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Joshua, but we do find them mentioned here in books like First Chronicles and Ezra and Psalms and Isaiah, we do know that there were a few centuries that elapsed between when those first books were delivered and when those last ones were delivered. What happened in those few centuries between? What was it that brought mechanical instruments of music into worship? What changed? Let's investigate that matter like this. When we think about then what changed, maybe we should look more carefully at some of those verses that detail its usage in that later Old Testament period. I have quoted for you, or at least written with quotation marks, some of these features. I'm going to invite us to actually revisit and read them. 
Let's revisit the book of First Chronicles, at least for right now. First Chronicles 16, let's begin reading in verse number 4. Keep in mind, our consideration is to think with some care about the presentation of these mechanical instruments of music in Old Testament worship. It says, And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, and to record, and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, Jeiel, Shemiramoth, and Jehiel, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jeiel with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also, and Jehaziel the priests, with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Interestingly, in that opening statement, you'll find we have read about a period in time in which the children of Israel had already come out of Egypt, of course, long before. Not only that, they had already by this point arrived in their land of Canaan, and you'll notice that they had already settled there and had done so many years earlier. David was the person on the throne at this time, and you'll notice that the word he in verse 4 refers to David. David made some appointments, he made some decisions, and it says he appointed certain of the Levites to minister around the ark. He also appointed certain to thank and praise the Lord. And in verse number 5, it was he who made this appointment concerning the psalteries and the harps. Maybe we'll keep that in mind as we look at our next passage. In First Chronicles 23, the next prescription on that particular slide, might you look at that passage with me? Again, this is a description of the life and times of David. Beginning in verse number 2 of First Chronicles 23, it reads, And he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles, man by man, was 30 and 8,000, of which 20 and 4,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord, and 6,000 were officers and judges. Moreover, 4,000 were porters, and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. And again, I would invite you to notice that here was a scene. David had a heart desirous of properly bringing forth the people in worship to encourage that in a fixed way. But we notice here that David, in fact, appointed some 4,000 individuals, verse number 5, to praise the Lord with instruments which David himself had set forth, ordained, and made. At that point, we've already observed then that by the time of 1 Chronicles, these instruments of music were frequently and regularly employed in the worship there at the temple complex, there in the tabernacle, which was still in existence then. As you look forward to also chapter 25 in this same book, notice verse number 6. 1 Chronicles 25 verse 6. All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord, with cymbals, psalteries, and harps for the service of the house of God according to the king's order to Asaph and Jeduthun and Heman. One more time, we are then in a position 
to observe these mechanical instruments of music were frequently and regularly utilized in the worship of the latter part of 1 Chronicles and even thereafter. Maybe one more text would take us to 2 Chronicles 29. Now this particular text follows by some years the life of David. David had already died by this time. He had already passed on and in fact the king on the throne was a gentleman named Hezekiah. Let's listen to what is described concerning the reign of Hezekiah. Let's begin reading in verse number 23. And they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and they laid their hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and with psalteries and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the instruments. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. We'll pause at that point to observe that yet again, there's been a significant mention made of this employment of various mechanical instruments in the worship in the days of Hezekiah. So extensive was it that we observe appointments, and we observe, again, some other references that bring us to verse 27. That verse that we just read highlights as it closes the following, "...with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel." We revisit that question we'd raised earlier. In the early days of that Mosaic worship, we find no mention of these mechanical instruments. And yet, by the time the era of David had arrived we notice a frequent mention of them. Maybe these additional thoughts will help distinguish those periods. After all, these remarks seem very much in order. As you and I discuss with individuals about why the church does not use mechanical instruments of music and worship, and the circumstances surrounding our worship only in vocal a cappella singing, Oftentimes, the wonderment of the Old Testament brings questions to their minds. Let's see if we can put all that together by rightly dividing the word of truth. Didn't Paul admonish Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15? These remarks then seemingly are in order. We notice that in fact, at least three times in those passages that we just read, that it was said that David introduced those mechanical instruments of music. It is said that David ordained them. It was said that David appointed them. It was said that their introduction was according to the word of David. May I submit to you that that leads us to wonder, then did David introduce them with heaven's approval? Did he introduce this worship into the Old Testament era with the approval of the God of heaven, or was this his idea? Did David come up with this thought on his own? 
maybe as we give thought to that, the wording itself might be significant. The Hebrew words that occur in these verses, such as David appointed, David ordained, those have behind them the thought of possession, as if they belonged to the idea, as if they were the idea of him. Maybe one latter prophet, and this is the lesson text that Brother Matt read earlier. May I invite you to turn to Amos, the sixth chapter, and let's listen to yet another Old Testament reference to this occurrence. That is to say, these instruments, who ordained them, and the means by which they were used. Amos chapter 6 occurs in a particular setting in which the prophet Amos had many rebuking things to say to the children of Israel. By that time, late in the Old Testament era, they already had suffered much because of their idolatry. They often had in fact found themselves on the difficult end of oppressions by other nations, and it was all because of their sinfulness. It was because of the foolish choices they had made and their disobedience unto God. As we arrive at Amos, the sixth chapter, we notice just a few thoughts. If you'd like, you may already notice verse number 21 of Amos chapter 5. At that point, God speaking says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Let's pause immediately and note this. Here were individuals, the children of Israel. They were gathering together. They were offering their sin offerings. They were offering their burnt offerings. They were offering their sacrifices. They were offering their incense. And God said, I hate this. Many today would almost find it unbelievable. Do you mean that God won't accept my worship? Do you mean that God is displeased with what is taking place here? In many cases, the answer is an absolute yes. When worship is not done according to the details and the specifics that He has specified, it's vain worship. It's unacceptable worship. Here's a clear-cut example in the Old Testament. The children of Israel were offering their burnt offerings, but that wasn't good enough. They were offering their sin offerings, but something still wasn't right. I wonder about the things that were amiss. Verse 23, Take thou away from me the doys of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. The viol was an ancient mechanical instrument of music. It was an ancient thing you played, somewhat reminiscent to us today of a violin. It was stringed and you could play it, and the people were coming together and having a jolly time doing what they thought was worship, and a part of it was the playing of a viol. And God said, I hate this. I despise these feast days. As Amos rolled into chapter 6, he had more things to say to them again about the issue of their problems. Woe to them, Amos 6 verse 1, that are at ease in Zion. And trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Immediately we notice in that verse, woe to them. The word woe is one of those words in Scripture that just causes us to perk up because what's said is a strong denunciation upon those to whom it was addressed. Woe on them that are at ease in Zion. 
By this time, the people of Israel were comfortable. The economy was good. All was well. It looked like everything was just fine and rosy. And their worship had degenerated to the point that it was unacceptable. Amos, God speaking through him, said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Verse 2, Pass ye unto Calna and see... From thence go ye to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines, be they better than these kingdoms? God here to an Israelite must have said something almost unthinkable. Go out of the country even to the Philistines and you'll find they are no worse off than my people are. Here were ancient nations that were involved in activities that were no worse off than God's own people. Now that's pathetic, isn't it? That God's people, even though they had had the law, they had heard it read and preached every Sabbath for decades and even centuries. And yet they were involved in mistakes like this. Let's read further. Verse 3. Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. We gain an easy sense. Again, the people were at ease. Their belly was full. They simply went to worship, had a good old entertaining time with all these instruments, and they thought it was all well. Verse 5, That chant to the sound of the viol, and invent to themselves the instruments of music like David. Remember that this is one continuing sentence. A woe is being pronounced. This is not a good thing. It is a denunciating thing. It's a condemned thing. It's a forbidden thing. Woe to them that invent to themselves instruments of music like David. You'll notice if you're reading in that particular passage, and the Hebrew is so very consistent with what you and I have read. The word invent, to themselves instruments of music. So who invented these instruments of music? Who introduced them into worship? Who appointed their proper application in regard to the usage there in that tabernacle and later the temple? Amos said David did it. God through Amos said David did it. As you look at all of that, you'll notice that many questions then should resound in our mind today. This music of Old Testament worship, it is an interesting study. And there's no question from Psalm 150, Psalm 150, chapter 150, from these other references we noted earlier, those instruments of music were used, but were they ever used with the approval of the God of heaven? And there is no indication that they were. They were used because David introduced them. And David's influence reverberated for centuries thereafter. He was the king that all the others wanted to be like. And it would appear that kind of usage continued onward for years and years thereafter. Today, when those individuals then bring to your mind and mind, well, those instruments were used in the Old Testament. Why can't we use them today? Maybe that's the proper time to ask and to remind them they were never used with God's approval. They were never used with His instructional base and as a part of that which was divinely appointed worship. They were used, and you'll notice here in Amos, if you'd like to write in your Bible or at least make notes to that effect, Amos chapters 5 and 6 are the clearest and strongest denunciations of these mechanical instruments of music in the Old Testament. 
The strength of his language is so very clear. Is it not true then that one might observe some of these final comments? If David introduced these without heaven's approval, why did God permit it? Well, one thing we might say is God will allow the human family to march down the course of destruction if they are of a mindset to do so. God will allow us to make our own decisions. And if we make the poor one and if we make the wrong one, we'll have to give an answer for that some golden day, of course. Here, the people of the ancient Israel, they had the instruction of the Levites and they had the instruction of the priests and they had the blessed oracles of God toward that noble end, Romans 3 verse 2. But you'll notice this might be placed in categories like some other things. In the Old Testament, we read about multiple marriages and concubinage and things like that. God seemingly permitted that in that dim light of existence. But we live under a better covenant than that. He doesn't tolerate these things today. For those reasons, might we then turn our attention and ask, so what about worship and the music thereof in the New Testament era? If this might serve for us as a pattern, cannot we be thankful the perfect era has now come? Hebrews 8 verse 6 says, We serve under a better covenant. We in fact serve under the perfect and great Lord of all. And this book which you and I now have in possession is described in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 10 as perfect. No later additions, no need for appendices or other updated features then what does this book say about the worship and the music thereof today? Just a few verses that so rapidly come to mind. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16. We read in Hebrews 13.15 about the blessed wonder of the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto God. The fruit of our lips, singing, making melody in our heart. The opportunity mentioned in all these verses perhaps surrounds that thought. God has specified what music He wants in worship today. He hasn't left that to our devices he hasn't left it to our preferences, and He hasn't left it to our choices. He has specified fully, completely the nature of the music that He desires and the music that He demands. And if we worship in truth, it must thus be according to that which He has revealed. We noted to the Ephesians, Paul said, "...as you sing, making melody in your heart." There's no reference upon proper interpretation of that passage to any external mechanical instrument of music. The Greek word employed there identifies the instrument that we're playing. It's our heart. He said, singing and making melody in the heart. There's the instrument. God's already detailed it. Thus, we cannot supply or substitute any other instrument and obey what the Lord has said. We must play only that instrument. And as we collectively lift our voices in song, we are making a sweet melody unto God. And you'll notice that that also allows us to see this. We are teaching and admonishing one another. 
Colossians 3.16. That means that we're edifying each other. We're building one another up. A mechanical instrument of music cannot teach. It cannot admonish. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 14.7, It's lifeless and it's dead. But yet we, by the character of our voices and the words that we sing, are able to admonish and to teach, to warn and to lift up. That's a great thing about singing. We should look forward to the opportunity to sing praises and worship unto God. You'll notice also beyond that, it would be just as wrong today for us to invent something and substitute for what God has decreed just as surely as it was wrong for David to do it. And so we mustn't substitute for worship and its music in any way other than simply to carry out what God has decreed. God in many ways has been pretty simple with that, hasn't He? We see again in the New Testament that although the worship in the temple, it was well known to use mechanical instruments of music. As we turn the page into the book of Acts and appreciate the church, we find not the slightest first mention that they ever use these kind of instruments. They knew something was different. They were living under the sweetness of the New Testament era and under the gospel. That gospel system brings us to the last element on that slide. And we'll use that to close our lesson also this morning. That law of exclusion that is so often needful as we interpret the Bible. When God has specified, it is not left to man in any way to change anything that God has said. That has to do with the organization of the church, the worship of the church, and the matter of livelihood day by day for you and me in Christ. That law of exclusion certainly applies here, and the Bible itself teaches the law of exclusion. Perhaps the clearest example, Hebrews chapters 7 and 8. There the argument is made by the inspired writer. If the Lord were on earth today under the Levitical system, He could not be a priest. Why? Because God had said all the priests had to be of the tribe of Levi. But the Lord was of the tribe of Judah, Hebrews seven fourteen, and therefore He could not be a priest. It was absolutely excluded. Today, if God has specified His music, singing, that excludes everything else. It excludes playing of instruments mechanically. It excludes yodeling, whistling, humming, or anything else. All of that then falls under that which, of course, God has Himself not allowed. The church today thus worships a cappella music not because we merely prefer it, but because God demands it. We don't worship that way just because we like the sound of it better. And there have been through the years many have asked the question, well, why doesn't the Church of Christ use a band in music? And sometimes the answer by some is given, well, they just prefer it that way. That's not why we worship this way. We worship because that's how God says it must be done. For that reason, we set aside our preferences. We set aside what might be convenient. And we simply and humbly submit to the commandments of the Lord and worship the way He has said. With that said, this lesson draws to its conclusion. And maybe we can summarize it ever so briefly with that slide. The study of the worship of the Old Testament and its music... I hope has been a thrilling one in many ways. 
but it has been used to help us appreciate our worship today and the singular nature of God's specification of singing. David introduced those mechanical instruments and did so without heaven's approval. In fact, remember, Amos pronounced a woe upon those that invent to themselves instruments of music like David. May we not be such inventors today, but may we simply, with whole heart, desire to worship the Lord as He has commanded, and rest assured that they that worship the Lord in spirit and in truth shall be received and heard by Him, and the worship will not be vain. Matthew 15, 9. This morning, as we reach this point in the lesson, may we ask a very pertinent question. Are you and am I a faithful New Testament Christian? Have we, in fact, obeyed the gospel initially, recognizing the greatness of the forgiveness that we can have through the blood of Christ? If you have not attended to that today, the plan of salvation stands just as firmly as does this matter of music. We cannot tamper with the plan of salvation. We must simply accept it. Jesus said, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. The Lord Himself said, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. He furthermore said, If you don't confess Me before men, then I'll deny you before my heavenly Father. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And then He said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins this day? If not, why not in just a moment come forward and let us assist you in that? If you have become a member of the body of Christ, but you have allowed various things to take your attention away, and you've begun to think that certain things don't matter, maybe your life is a rather dim reflection of the faithfulness that it should be. Why not come back today to your first love? Let us pray with you. Let us pray on your behalf toward God. He's promised He'll hear the penitent prayer of a righteous individual, righteous set of individuals. Today, if we could be of any assistance to anyone in the audience in any of these ways, won't you let us know in what way we can and do that at once. While together we stand and while we sing.